Chapter Five of the Vicar of Rexhill. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Vicar of Rexhill by Francis Milton Trollope. Chapter Five: The Aristocracy of Rexhill. There was no longer anything to prevent Charles Mowbray's return to Oxford, and the following day the time of his departure was conversed, and at length fixed for the early part of the following week. During the few days that intervened, Mrs. Mowbray seemed quite to have forgotten their painful conversation respecting the will. She resumed all her former confiding tenderness of manner, and told him before they parted that henceforward his liberal allowance would be doubled. The day preceding his departure was Sunday, and for the first time since their heavy loss the whole family appeared at church. They had all dreaded the moment of reappearing before the eyes of the little village world, and of thus giving public notice, as it were, that they no longer required to be left to mourn in secret, but this painful ceremony came, and was endured, like those that had preceded it, and poor Helen, as she laid her head upon her pillow, exclaimed, "'What is there that we could not bear and live?' The sad parting of the next morning, having also passed over them, they at once and by necessity fell into the mode of life which they were hereafter to pursue. But dreary and heavy was the change that had fallen on them, and it was long ere the mere act of assembling for their daily meals ceased to be a source of suffering— for fearful was the blank left by the absence of the kind, the gentle, the beloved, the venerated being, whose voice was used to speak a blessing and a welcome over every repast. But our natures seize with avidity the healing balm which time and occupation offer. Much variety of disposition was, however, manifested in the manner in which each one of the family sought the consolation they needed. Mrs. Mowbray became evidently, though perhaps unconsciously, better both in health and spirits from the time that her neighbours, according to their different ranks, resumed their visits of friendship, civility, and respect. She had testified outwardly, excepting to such an eye as Rosalind's, more intense suffering than any other member of the family. Nor was this in the smallest degree the result of affectation. She felt all, and more than all, that she had ever expressed, and would gladly, for the sake of her poor children, have concealed a part of it, had the fibre of her character permitted her doing so. But she was demonstrative by nature. With great softness and sweetness of temper was joined that species of weakness which is often said to be the most attractive feature in the female character, a weakness that induced her to seize gladly and gratefully any hand extended to lead her, and which, while it made her distrust herself, gave most sovereign sway and masterdom to any one ready and willing to supply the strength and decision of purpose which she wanted. Many female philippics have been penned, I believe, against that manly passion for superiority which leads our masters to covet in a companion chosen for life the temper of mind here described. But I am tempted to think that this longing to possess a being that wants protection, far from demonstrating a disposition prone to tyranny, shows a nature disposed to love and to cherish, in a manner perfectly accordant to the most perfect beau ideal of married life but on the other hand there may perhaps be more of fondness than judgment in those who make such malleability of mind their first requisite in a choice so awfully important mrs mowbray however had a thousand good qualities to justify the devoted affection of her husband generous unsuspicious and confiding she was almost as incapable of doubting the goodness of others as of deserving such doubts herself though heiress to immense property no feeling in the slightest degree approaching to pride had ever for a single instant swelled her heart, and though good, beautiful, and accomplished, her estimate of herself was lower than that formed of her by any other human being. Her heart was now more than ever open to every expression of sympathy and kindness, and she experienced the most salutary effects from admitting those who uttered such, 
yet she was still a mourner in her very heart and soul and there were moments in which she felt so bitterly that all her youthful affections were buried and every hope of earthly happiness passed that the fair young faces of the three affectionate girls who were ready to devote themselves to her seemed too bright and beautiful to be kept within the influence of her melancholy and she often sent them from her to their music-room their flower-gardens or the park with a sort of feverish anxiety lest their youth and health should be sacrificed to their affection for her helen had all the tenderness with none of the weakness of her mother's character she soon ceased to speak of her father except occasionally when walking or sitting quite alone with rosalind when sheltering boughs or thickening twilight might conceal the working features of her face even from her at such a moment if some kind caress from her young companion touched unawares the feelings over which she unceasingly kept guard as if they were a secret treasure too precious to be exposed to vulgar eyes she would from time to time give way to the sacred pleasure of discoursing on the character of the father she had lost but she had resumed all her former occupations and added to them the far from unpleasing task of imparting to rosalind much that had either been ill-taught or altogether neglected in her early education this as well as their daily increasing affection for each other kept them much together without any blamable desertion either of mrs mowbray or fanny for the former was really wretched if she thought they confined themselves too much to her drawing-room and herself and the latter was hourly becoming more devoted to solitary study and to speculations too poetical and sublime to be shared by any one less romantic and imaginative than herself the neighbourhood was not a large one mowbray park and the estate attached to it stretched itself so far in all directions that oakley the residence of sir gilbert harrington the nearest landed proprietor was at the distance of more than a mile the little village of rexhill however had one or two pretty houses in it inhabited by ladies and gentlemen of moderate but independent fortune with whom the family at the park associated on terms of intimacy among these the late vicar and his family had been the decided favourites of the whole race of mowbrays and most deservedly so for the father was a man of piety learning and most amiable deportment his wife a being whose temper to say nothing of sundry other good qualities had made her the idol of the whole parish and his two sons and two daughters just such sons and daughters as such parents deserve to have but as gregory dobbs the old parish clerk observed after officiating at the funeral of mr mowbray death seemed to have taken a spite against the village of rexhill for within one short month he had mowed down and swept away the two best and most powerful men in the parish and twas no easy matter to say how long the inhabitants might be likely to wear mourning the dispersion and departure of the good vicar's family was an additional misfortune that his parishioners had not looked for the living more valuable for its pleasant house and pretty glebe than for its revenue was in the gift of one who through life had been not in appearance or profession only but in most true sincerity the attached friend of the late incumbent and edward wallace his eldest son was bred to the church with the express understanding that the next presentation should be his with this persuasion the young man's first act on the death of his father was to tell his mother and sisters that they should continue to inhabit the home they had so long loved but this arrangement was speedily overthrown for in reply to the letter which announced the death of his father to sir j c blackhouse the patron of the living he received the following answer my dear fellow as the devil would have it i am now a cabinet minister and i no more dare give the living to your tory father's son than i dare blow up westminster hall or pull the lord chancellor's nose in public i do assure you i am very sorry for this for i believe you are likely to be as good a man as your excellent father who when he was my tutor had certainly no notion that i should turn out such a first-rate radical however there is no resisting destiny and so here i am 
just going to give my pretty little living to some reverend mistress somebody that i don't care a straw about because my lord m says that though a bit of a saint he is a capital clerical whig i wish edward you'd try to forget all the fusty old nonsense about church and state upon my life i do bygones are bygones my dear fellow and if you could get up a clever pamphlet on the tithe laws or on the protestant affinities to the church of rome or anything else with a good rich vein of wiggery running through it i really think i might still be able to do something for you do think of this and believe me my dear fellow very affectionately your friend j c blackhouse this most unlooked-for disappointment of course banished the wallace family from rexhill and the regret their departure left was so general that it would be hardly saying too much to declare that no interference of the whig government however personal or tyrannical ever produced a stronger sensation of disgust in the circle to which its influence extended than this it was greatly owing to the influence of mr mowbray that mr cartwright his son and daughter were visited by the neighbourhood on their arrival but the obvious injustice and impropriety of treating with indignity and disrespect the clergyman who was placed among them solely because they would have preferred one of their own choosing had led the benevolent owner of the great house to banish the painful feelings to which this unpopular appointment had given rise and before he died he had the satisfaction of knowing that those who looked up to him as authority had followed his example and that the new vicar had been called upon by all the visiting families of rexhill the handsomest house in the village was inhabited by a widow lady still young enough to be called handsome and living with sufficient show to be supposed rich she played a little sang a little sketched a little and talked and dressed a great deal some people declared that when she was young her complexion must have been as beautiful as that of miss fanny mowbray but these were only the young farmers who did not know rouge when they saw it this lady whose name was simpson had one little girl a pretty little creature of eight years old who was sometimes petted and played with till she was completely spoiled and sometimes left in the nursery for days altogether while her mamma was absorbed in the perusal of a new novel or the fabrication of a new dress at the next turn of the village street was the entrance to a little place of much less pretension but infinitely prettier and in better taste this also was tenanted by a fair widow who had she not been surrounded by three daughters all taller than herself might have passed for being as young and as handsome as mrs simpson she was however as little like her as possible in every other respect being subject to no caprice remarkably simple in her dress and her hair and her cheeks always remaining of the colour that pleased god this lady had been early left a widow by the gallant and unfortunate colonel richards who lost a life in a skirmish with the native troops of india which might have done honour to his country in a nobler field what his young widow endured in returning from a remote part of the country to madras with her three infants and very little means had doubtless contributed with the good gifts borne with her to make her what she was for there was a firmness and strength of mind enveloped in her miniature frame which seemed as if her brave husband had bequeathed to her the legacy of his dauntless spirit to sustain her under all the privations and misery his early death left her to encounter alone the character of her three girls will be easily understood hereafter mrs richard's cottage was the only residence in rexhill except the vicar's that did not open upon the village street so that she had no immediate neighbour but close to the corner of the pretty field that fronted her dwelling and fed her cow lived a bachelor half-pay officer who among many other excellent qualities possessed one which made him pre-eminently interesting in her eyes he had known colonel richard's well and less than half the reverence he felt for his memory has often sufficed to enrich the church of rome with a saint it was not major dalrymple's fault if the widow of his erstwhile commanding officer had not long ago exchanged her comparative poverty for his very comfortable independence and considering that he was five years younger than the lady 
was the presumptive heir to a noble scotch cousin who was thought consumptive played the flute exquisitely and was moreover a tall and gentlemanly figure with no other fault imputed to him than a somewhat obstinate pertinacity of attachment to herself many people both in and out of rexhill wondered at her obduracy especially as she had never been heard to say even by her most intimate friends that her heart was buried in the grave of her dear richards the remaining aristocracy of rexhill need hardly be enumerated as they will not make any very considerable figure in the following pages but there was an attorney an apothecary and a schoolmaster the latter indeed was an excellent person of whom we may hear more in the sequel but a catalogue raisonne of names makes but a dull chapter end of chapter five